Hi, everybody. It's Derek, and this is your Foreign Exchanges World News Roundup for December 13th, Tuesday, December 13th, sorry, uh, 2022. Uh, we have a few anniversaries. Uh, on December 12th, in the year 627, a Byzantine army under Emperor Heraclius defeated a Persian army, a Sasanian Persian army, at the Battle of Nineveh. Uh, the Byzantine victory broke the Persians' uh, resistance. It allowed Heraclius and his army to raid deeper into the heart of the empire, um, and led, contributed to the eventual uh, surrender of the Persians. Uh, uh, I should say, uh, the Persian emperor Khosrow II had already, uh, to some extent, uh, cost himself the throne, uh, having uh, engaged in a fairly ill-advised siege of Constantinople the previous year in 626. That siege failed badly. Uh, it caused his nobility to turn on him. Uh, but the combination of that and the defeat at the Battle of Nineveh was the final uh, trigger for the nobles to overthrow uh, Khosrow II and eventually bring to an end, negotiated end, the Byzantine-Sasanian War uh, that started in 602 and at one point had the, the Sasanians conquering vast uh, territories of the Roman Empire. Uh, this was the last war that the Romans and Persians ever fought in their extended string uh, of conflicts, uh, the reason being, of course, that both empires would soon be overrun by a new threat emerging from Arabia in the form of the Islamic Caliphate. Uh, on December 12th in the year 1098, uh, the Crusaders, uh, the Knights of the Furthest Soldiers, I guess, of the First Crusade, captured the city of Marat and Numan. Uh, this is one of the low points of the crusade, despite the, the victory. Uh, it was a very hard-fought siege, for one thing. Uh, the uh, crusaders were finally able to defeat the garrison, uh, which was made up mostly of local militia and townspeople, uh, after a bitter two-week siege. Uh, and what resulted uh, was first uh, a massacre uh, of the city's population. Uh, and then uh, we're told that the Crusaders uh, hunkered down at Marat on Numan, uh, unable to leave and without, uh, unable to march on and without adequate food supplies, turned to cannibalism. Um, this is the second time that the Crusaders had been basically starving during the course of the crusade. The first time happened at Antioch, uh, but there they were able to eat their horses. Uh, they didn't have any horses left to eat at this point, or many of them anyway. Uh, and so they turned to cannibalism and began eating, uh, the bodies of the, the dead, uh, residents of the city. Um, so not a not a high point from the perspective of the Crusades, uh, even though the First Crusade was eventually successful. Uh, I would say this was probably their their uh, low point. On December 13th, uh, 1577, Francis Drake began the expedition that would eventually take him around the world, uh, returning to England in 1580. Uh, although Ferdinand Magellan technically circumnavigated the Earth first, roughly 60 years earlier, uh, Magellan himself managed to get killed along the way. So Drake has the distinction of being the first person to command uh, a voyage uh, from the start to finish uh, that circumnavigated the world. 
Uh, on December 13th, 1937, the Imperial Japanese Army defeated the Chinese National Revolutionary Army, captured the city of Nanjing. Uh, what followed became known as the Nanjing Massacre, as Japanese soldiers spent the next six weeks slaughtering prisoners and civilians in the city. Estimates of the death toll vary widely, but most scholars believe it was somewhere between 40,000 40, and the official Chinese count of 300,000. On to the news. In the Middle East, uh, starting in Turkey, the Turkish government says it's reached an agreement with Western insurance firms that should eliminate the traffic jam of oil tankers that have been stuck trying to transit between the Black and Mediterranean seas over the past week. The agreement obliges tankers to present written proof of insurance to Turkish authorities before they're permitted to make the transit. Turkish officials imposed stricter proof of insurance requirements after the European Union G7 Russian oil price cap went into effect last week. Uh, that price cap is based largely in uh, threats of pulling insurance from uh, tankers that transport Russian oil at anything above the $60 price cap. Uh, and so it raised fears on the part of Turkish officials that an uninsured tanker uh, might have some sort of mishap, an oil spill, what, whatever, uh, in Turkish waters that would leave them liable, basically, because of uh, lack of insurance uh, for the damages. In Israel, uh, Yariv Levine of the Likud party was elected the new speaker of the Israeli Knesset on Monday, suggesting uh, that Prime Minister designate Benjamin Netanyahu is moving closer to finalizing his coalition agreement. Uh, Levin succeeds Mickey Levy of the Yesh Atid party, which will presumably find itself in opposition, assuming that Netanyahu is able to close the deal by the, his December 21st deadline. Uh, he, Levin may wind up leaving the speakership in short order to take a cabinet post, but in the meantime, his job will be to oversee key procedural votes. There will be one, for example, uh, required to allow the head of the Shas party, Arya Derry, uh, to assume a cabinet post under the terms of their agreement with Netanyahu, despite Derry's past tax fraud convictions. So there's going to be some, uh, I think, votes like this that need to happen uh, for Netanyahu to be able to form his government, but um, sounds like things are progressing. In Asia, uh, in Afghanistan, the Chinese government has advised its citizens to leave that country one day after an Islamic State attack on a Kabul hotel left five Chinese nationals injured. The attack targeted the Chinese-owned Kabul Longan Hotel and apparently lasted several hours before Afghan security forces were able to regain control of the facility. It's unclear whether this incident is, going, incident is going to affect Chinese commercial activity in Afghanistan, but the possibility has to be disconcerting to an Afghan government that needs China's support to try to revive the country's decimated economy. Uh, in India, uh, Indian and Chinese officials have revealed a few more details about the recent border clash between their forces uh, in the Tawang region of India's Arunachal Pradesh state. Uh, the incident took place on Friday. Uh, according to New Delhi, it involved Chinese forces attempting to cross the poorly defined border into Indian territory. In the Chinese version of events, it was Indian soldiers who crossed the border to interfere with the Chinese patrol. Either or even both of these narratives could be true, given how nebulous the border is in, those, in that region. Uh, both sides appear to have suffered some minor injuries, but nothing serious. 
in China. According to Bloomberg News, Chinese officials have indefinitely postponed their annual Central Economic Work Conference amid concerns about a rise in COVID cases related to the government's relaxation of zero COVID restrictions. The meeting had been scheduled for this week and was, as usual, intended to set out economic policy for the coming year. There's no confirmation that the postponement was due to COVID, but it seems the likeliest rationale. Uh, In Oceania, Australia, the governments of Australia and Vanuatu signed a new and apparently fairly broad security agreement on Tuesday covering everything from disaster relief to maritime security to cybersecurity. Australian officials are no doubt hoping that this deal will be the template for similar bilateral arrangements with other Pacific Island states that might otherwise turn toward China for their security needs. On to Africa and Sudan, uh, where the government of Sudan, meanwhile, has reportedly cut a preliminary $6 billion deal with two UAE-based firms to build and operate a new Red Sea port at Abu Amama, which is about 200 kilometers north of Port Sudan. Uh, The swanky new facility will include an airport and plenty of basic infrastructure, power plant, for example, uh, and will apparently function as a special economic zone for Emirati commerce. That's nice for them. Uh, In Ghana, Ghana has secured a $3 billion three-year international monetary fund bailout loan aimed at reducing inflation and getting a handle on Ghana's high debt uh, with the usual package of IMF-mandated economic reforms, I'm sure. Uh, The agreement still needs to be approved by IMF management and the, uh, the fund's board, which will probably happen sometime early next year. In Uganda, the Ugandan military says its forces killed at least 11 allied Democratic Forces fighters who crossed into that country overnight from the Democratic Republic of the Congo. The Islamist ADF began its life as a Ugandan militant group before relocating itself in the eastern DR Congo, uh, but its fighters do still cross the border from time to time, aiming to carry out attacks in Uganda. The Ugandan military has deployed hundreds of soldiers to the DRC as part of a joint anti-ADF operation, and also more recently as part of the East African community's joint peacekeeping force in that region. Uh, On to Europe. In Russia, U.S. prosecutors have charged five Russian nationals and two U.S. nationals over allegations that they've been laundering money and obtaining high-tech dual-use products on behalf of the Russian government in violation of sanctions. The two U.S. nationals have been arrested along with one of the Russians who's in Estonian custody subject to a U.S. extradition request. Uh, In Belarus, uh, President Alexander Lukashenko named himself a new foreign minister uh, on Tuesday while announcing a snap inspection of his military uh, that has apparently renewed fears that he might jump into the Ukraine war on Russia's side. Uh, Sergei Alenik is now Belarusian foreign minister, uh, replacing Vladimir Makei. Uh, after the latter's sudden and heretofore unexplained death last month. There remains no real indication that Lukashenko is planning to intervene in Ukraine uh, and little indication uh, that Belarusian forces could make a significant impact on the conflict uh, if he does. In Ukraine, uh, it sounds like the U.S. government will announce later this week that it's sending a Patriot service-to-air missile system to Ukraine to help bolster the country's air defenses in the face of ongoing Russian drone and missile strikes. 
Western countries have made air defense the main focus of their Ukrainian military aid for several weeks now, but the Patriot would be a step up in terms of sophistication compared with what the Ukrainians have received so far. Uh, meanwhile, a group of 70 countries meeting in Paris on Tuesday pledged a collective 1 billion euros in aid to Ukraine to support infrastructure repairs and other basic necessities. Uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina, European Union member states, agreed to make that country a candidate for membership uh, on Tuesday, which is the very preliminary first stage uh, to actually joining the EU. Uh, the European Commission recommended this step back in October in spite of Bosnia's deeply fractured internal political situation, uh, which would seem to make it a poor candidate for accession, at least at present. Uh, the EU appears to be torn between a reluctance to invite a country facing a potential secessionist conflict into the club and a desire to extend its reach into the Western Balkans, lest the region be, I don't know, lost to Russia or something like that. Uh, it's unlikely that Bosnia's candidacy will advance unless or until uh, the Serbian Republic or the Republika Srpska crisis is somehow resolved. Uh, and if Bosnia and Serb leaders prefer not to join the EU, they may have effectively a veto over the process because uh, they can simply refuse to, uh, to settle that crisis. In Denmark, Prime Minister Mette Frederiksen has achieved her goal of a centrist coalition to replace the more leftist arrangement under which her Social Democratic Party had been governing since 2019. Fredrickson has cut a deal with the center-right liberal and moderate parties, which finished second and third respectively, behind the Social Democrats in November's parliamentary election. The coalition only holds 89 seats in the 179-seat Danish parliament, but that's functionally a majority as the four representatives from the Faroe Islands and Greenland traditionally do not participate in matters related to Danish internal affairs. Uh, on to the Americas. In Chile, uh, Chilean political parties have apparently agreed to try again to rewrite the country's Pinochet-era constitution. In case you've lost track of this story, Chileans voted overwhelmingly in a 2020 plebiscite in favor of drafting a new constitution, then voted uh, a bit less overwhelmingly, but still pretty convincingly, to reject the draft constitution back in September. President Gabriel Boric had staked his presidency on the adoption of a more progressive national charter uh, and has been somewhat stymied, uh, it seems like, since the voters rejected it. Uh, the thing is, while voters didn't like the constitution with which they were presented in September, they still want to replace the current charter. So politically, giving it another go makes sense for all concerned. Um, the new plan is to form a commission uh, including indigenous reputation, uh, representation, excuse me, uh, to begin the process uh, of drafting a new constitution uh, with voters electing a new 50-member constitutional assembly next April that will draft a new constitution again for the second time. Uh, this agreement is subject to approval by four-sevenths of the Chilean Congress, uh, or 29 senators, uh, and twenty and eighty nine members, excuse me, of the Chamber of Deputies. This doesn't seem like a big hurdle, given the number of parties that were involved in negotiating this deal. But I suppose anything is possible. Uh, in Peru, after several days of unrest sparked by the ouster and arrest of former Peruvian President Pedro Castillo, it sounds like the Peruvian military is intervening to protect key infrastructure. Uh, now, given the Peruvian military's historic, let's say, penchant, uh, penchant. Uh, pension for political intervention, uh, I would not assume that it's going to stop there at just protecting key infrastructure. Let's just say that. 
at least seven people uh, have died so far in protests following Castillo's removal from office. And there's little indication that new president Dina Boluarte's offer to move the country's April 2026 general election up to April 2024 has had any effect in terms of tamping down public anger. Even if Boluarte does succeed in restoring some calm, it is very unclear how she intends to govern for almost a year and a half in an environment in which the Peruvian Congress is deeply unpopular, even less popular than Castillo, uh, and her own legitimacy is very much in question. Castillo, for his part, is still asserting that he's the lawful president of Peru, though in fairness, there was more legal basis to the impeachment vote last Wednesday that removed him from office than there was to his fairly ham-fisted attempt to dissolve Congress earlier that day. Nevertheless, the presidents of Argentina, Bolivia, Colombia, and Mexico have all indicated that they support his assertion, and the brutality being shown toward protesters by Peruvian security forces is not exactly bolstering the new government's legitimacy. Castillo's lawyers uh, had appealed his arrest, but their appeal was rejected by a judge on Tuesday, and he remains in custody. In Venezuela, Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro declared on Monday that the Venezuelan-Colombian border will fully reopen as of January 1st. That border has been uh, fully or mostly closed for around three years, uh, and at least partially closed for around seven, owing to hostility between Maduro and previous Colombian governments. Uh, But new Colombian President Gustavo Petro came into office intending to restore normal relations with Venezuela, and so far it's been fairly smooth sailing on that front. Uh, In the United States, the U.S. Department of Energy held an event on Tuesday to confirm reports that scientists at the Lawrence Livermore National Lab were able to produce a net energy gain from a fusion reaction earlier this month. According to uh, uh, what was uh, said at the event, the experiment used 2.05 megajoules of energy to generate the reaction, the fusion reaction, uh, which produced then 3.15 megajoules. Uh, Achieving a net energy gain is a major milestone in the potential development of fusion power, though this does not mean that fusion power is anywhere close to becoming reality. Uh, Also on Tuesday, the Biden administration kicked off the U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit in Washington, where it is hoping to win hearts and minds across the African continent, or at least to improve Washington's image as compared with, say, China. Uh, For much of the past two decades, the relationship between the U.S. and most African nations has been defined mainly or wholly by counterterrorism. The Biden administration seems to want to move beyond that limitation, but it nevertheless has to contend with the war on terror's legacy, including the failure of U.S. security assistance to generate any actual security. Uh, The Quincy Institute recently published a symposium on that legacy. Uh, It included comments from uh, FX contributor Alex Thurston. Uh, I'll just read you a bit of that. Uh, He uh, said, uh, I'm quoting him here, counterterrorism programs can harm host countries by empowering authoritarians, abetting corruption and fueling grievances. Some of these harms have occurred in Africa with variation across time and place. The U.S. government typically deprioritizes Africa, a lamentable choice overall, but one that has kept counterterrorism somewhat limited outside of Somalia and Libya. More expansive counterterrorism would have done even more harm. U.S. policymakers have been right, for example, in deciding not to conduct armed drone strikes in the Sahel, despite serious militancy there. 
Uh, at the same time, existing counterterrorism programs are flawed. The Trans-Sahara Counterterrorism Partnership covering Northwest Africa has been wasteful and poorly managed, according to audits. The U.S. focus on training, moreover, has contributed to sidelining much-needed conversations about conflict's political roots. U.S. prioritization of counterterrorism, meanwhile, has led Washington to overlook abuses by partners. In Niger, then-President Mohamedou Isufu jailed his main opponent during the 2016 election and scandal. Scandals have erupted with no accountability over allegations of extrajudicial killings by soldiers and embezzlement from the security budget. The United States outsources some counterterrorism to regional forces, such as the African Union, uh, uh, the African Union mission in Somalia, rather. But various forces have faltered, while others have become open-ended deployments, lacking credible plans for resolving conflict. So other than that, though, it's going great, I think. Uh, it's really, really sounds like a... Uh, a, a good time is had by all. Uh, finally, I want to close with a little uh, brief appeal. Uh, regular readers of this newsletter will know that I frequently link to pieces from Tom Dispatch, uh, tomdispatch.com, which I believe is one of the best sites out there for interesting in-depth pieces that challenge U.S. foreign policy orthodoxy. Uh, Tom Dispatch has apparently lost one of its main funding streams, and they are launching uh, they, they do an annual appeal for, for uh, contributions to keep the site up, but it's uh, taken on more urgency this year than in most years uh, because of the loss of that funding stream. So I would like to make an appeal uh, to those of you who are able to please consider making a donation. There's a link uh, in the newsletter tonight, or you can just go to tomdispatch.com and you'll see the, uh, their fundraising appeal there. Uh, if you can, uh, contribute something. Uh, please do. It, it's it's an important site. It would be a shame to, to lose it. Uh, thanks for that. And as always, thank you for reading and or listening to the newsletter. Thanks to those of you who are subscribers, free subscribers, uh, and especially paid subscribers uh, for making it possible for me to do this work. Uh, as always, uh, you know, couldn't do it without you. Uh, and until next time, take care, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.